You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept feeling this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome back to another Two Bucks Podcast episode, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and today I have Logan Taves on the call. And Logan is the founder of Alpine Ranch, a premier freeze-dried backcountry meal brand company, if you will, that um, it looks like you guys have been making some pretty unique and interesting meals and helping people really refuel after a long day of hitting the mountain. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. I mean, it's, it's that time of season. I mean, we were just talking in the green room. I'm leaving in a couple of weeks. You're leaving in more like a couple of days or you're on inside a week now um, for season to be kicking off. And, and it's, so that's exciting. I was just ordering a water purification system this morning because we are actually for the first time going to be, um, doing some spike camp, some backpack hunting. Usually we do the big day camp, elk camp, and then day hunt out of that. And this year we're probably going to be doing a little bit more run and gun mobile. So whole new set of experiences. So partly that was what really piqued my interest, but also the whole aspect of starting something like Alpine Ranch seems daunting enough to start a business, much less a food business or something in the food industry. So that's why I decided to reach out and have you on here. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, season's coming up quick. We're excited. Uh, we launched about this time last year. So it was, it was not a whole lot of hunting going on last year. It was mainly, uh, you know, getting our facility approved and getting the business launched. We launched October last year. So, um, Excited to have a, a real hunting season again, and uh, you know, looking forward to this time of the year, man. It's been real hot here in Idaho, and we're looking forward to some cooler weather and some bugling bulls, and you know, getting into rifle season later on. So we're excited. Oh, I bet, and and I bet it's fun to have a full year under your belt. It's fun. I would imagine if you had to draw a curve, I would imagine the peak of like backcountry meal planning is kind of weighted towards the beginning of the season. I would say it's probably more of an archery game. Once you, I don't know, there's probably some diehards out there that are going to comment, but man, once you get into late October, November, the thought of sleeping on the mountain in a tent starts to become less and less exciting to a guy like me. Is that kind of true as what you've seen in the last 10 months of being live and operating? It's like a big push in the early season on the meals. Yeah, I mean, no doubt, you know, I mean, scouting, you know, I mean, it starts with spring bear, right? People get excited, they get out, um, want to get out in the backcountry, you know, early in the season. And then obviously, yeah, certainly archery. I think um, even rifle season into October, um, depending on where you're at, doesn't get too cold. You know, November in the backcountry, that could be a little daunting for sure. Although, uh, you know, if you've got a if you got a, a shelter with a stove, you know, by all means, uh, guys do it and guys are successful at it. So it just depends on like what your, your appetite is for uh, a little bit of, a little bit of a suck fest, but, uh, you know, certainly it can be good. So. Yeah. The stove thing makes it an interesting twist, but then you gotta be, you gotta be looking for fuel and, and, and all that stuff. I mean, I'll do a base camp 
I'll definitely do a base camp. And the, you know, I guess by to be fair though, when it is colder like that, the thought of having a nice warm meal on the mountain versus a sandwich is really exciting. And so we really like firing up the jet boils and doing. You know, we've long time ago we started with Mountain House, and I'm really becoming turned off to Mountain House. Um, it just rips me up on the inside. Yeah, you know, I think historically, I think, um, I mean, we all grew up eating that, right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, for years, it was Mountain House. There's there's other brands out there. I don't want to talk bad about anyone, but I think uh, the way freeze-dry made you feel, I think um, we all just kind of took it as that's just freeze-dried. You know, that's just what happens when you freeze-dry something and then you eat it on the mountain. And I think, uh, you know, it took a long time for... Uh, where other companies start entering the market. And we just kind of looked at, um, you know, what these other companies were putting in their meals. And even, you know, companies started coming out with higher protein options, um, higher calorie options, better calorie per ounce ratios. But as far as the ingredients goes, uh, what you eat is really how you feel. And if you don't, if you aren't putting the best fuel in your body um, going into each day and you feel like crap when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be hard to, push, you know, 1500 vertical and get up that mountain, especially on day seven, day eight, you know, it just gets, it gets rough. It's rough on your body. And even guys, I mean, a lot of guys, they treat their bodies real good, you know, all off season. And they're really like putting the best possible fuel in their body, eating clean. And then you get to season and you start putting a bunch of crap in your body. And it's no wonder you don't feel good waking up in the morning. So Oh yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned like calorie and, and, and calorie to weight ratios. Cause that was a big thing that I'm looking at. Like some of those meals that I started out with whatever brand it was. And I'm like, wait a second, this thing's only got like 450 calories in it. Like, why am I backpacking this thing around? It's like, that's half of one meal for me. Like I'm a big guy, like 400 calories is nothing. And so that's where I'm like, I want to find something that's like higher, like eight, nine, 10, 1100 calories in a meal. And then, you know, that can be like my big evening meal after like a long day of hunt. And I don't want to have to cook like two or three different freeze dried entrees to get the calories I need at one time. Right. I mean, no doubt. I think when we, you know, when we started, we were looking at, um, the portion size, how many ounces uh, we wanted our meals to be. And uh, certainly, especially, especially in the more premium options, a lot of companies are running a four ounce portion, which, you know, if you're 150 calories an ounce, four ounces, you know, you're at 600 calories. Um, for me, that wasn't enough. I know some people, uh, they don't eat a lot, but when I'm out burning calories, going up in the mountain, going up and down the mountain all day, really, uh, to me, I was looking more in that 800 range, you know, it was kind of the sweet spot, 800 to a thousand, uh, if you can get there, but it's hard to get there without, uh, even more than five ounces. So we went with five ounces, um, which, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, if you look at the other premium options, there are certain companies that are, that are running, uh, you know, 800, 900 calories, um, typically in a bigger than a five ounce portion. So they may be closer to six, um, to hit that number. Um, but certainly that was a priority for us was, Hey, you know, we want to be able to fuel up with, you know, close to a thousand calories at night and, uh, be ready to go for the next day. So, you know, five ounces was important to us and not, uh, not skimping on that. Cause I think it would have been easier to, to hit a lower price point 
and you know put 25 percent less food in the bag but i i just we just didn't feel like that was uh was the way to go uh we were trying to create kind of the perfect meal that we would want to use so yeah and i've 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 talked to certain people maybe more so from like a backcountry preparedness mentality of like what's an optimal food system look like and it usually always contains a freeze-dried entree for sure Um, Mm -hmm. but then we talk like well you know you can get you can get a lot of sodium especially if you're eating two or three meals a day and if you're not keeping tabs on the sodium intake like you can start to get too much and then that can really cause issues for you if you're not acclimated to sodium or you know, which like you said, if you're treating your body really clean all year long, you probably have a lower than average sodium intake. So then you all of a sudden you start slamming a few grams a day of sodium and your body's going to react. I mean, it's an electrolyte. When you get too many of them, it's not pretty. And so a lot of them said like they have a mix of plants, but they always said like if it's not at least 100 calories per ounce it doesn't go in my pack and and i looked at you know before the podcast i looked at all of your options your jambalaya your beef stroganoff or your not beef bison stroganoff the the breakfast all of them are like 160 170 180 calories per ounce so you're almost doubling like what the common rule of thumb is for like caloric density if you will right yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, uh, and, and the way we get there is, is clean fats. So we use a lot of olive oil, grass fed butter, um, you know, real high quality proteins. We, you know, a lot of our meals have bacon. Uh, it's always uncured bacon, but, um, you know, if you want to get above, I think it's 118 calories an ounce. Um, you got to add fat, right? I mean, you could have a, a meal that was pure carbs or pure protein and you're not even going to hit 120 so um in order to hit those higher numbers you gotta you gotta add fat but you gotta add good clean fat you know i know you were speaking to the sodium earlier we use uh, himalayan pink salt to uh to season all of our meals anytime we add salt we don't add a ton of salt to our meals but uh we try to add you know good salt um good natural salt and uh we think it makes a difference so uh, for sure. Uh, if you want to hit those higher calorie numbers, you got to have good clean fat. And then that also comes with its own challenges, uh, when it comes to freeze drying. So we got some ways we can, we can, uh, we can freeze dry that well and it lasts great. Um, but that was certainly one of the challenges when we started building these meals was, uh, getting that fat to integrate properly. And, uh, we've, we've been able to do it. So, Oh yeah. So when you start, well, for, I have a I have a pre a, a a entry question to the real question. So Alpine Ranch, when I'm looking it up, I find an there's also an Alpine Ranch like a farm that produces bison. Is that affiliated with Alpine Ranch freeze dried meals? No, we're not affiliated at all. Uh, that was uh, we were coming up with the name. That was another company that was out there. I think they're out, are they out of Nevada or something like that. Um, Anyway, they, yeah, there's an there's a actual ranch out there. We are not a ranch, um, but we do work with ranches. I've got a great bison rancher who, uh, who raises our bison for us. He knows we want our bison to be 100% grass-fed, so he, uh, I let him know when I, need, when I need a new one, and, you know, he, he kind of raises accordingly for us. So we like to butcher heifers. We think the flavor's a little better, um, and... Uh, he makes sure they get nothing but grass. So, I mean, if you go buy bison in the store, it's almost guaranteed to be corn finished. So, 
usually that's four weeks, six weeks. I think it depends. I'm not a bison rancher, but I know most bison in the store is corn finished, uh, primarily because they want marbling and their ribeyes and stuff like that. Um, right. But for us, we're using ground because it rehydrates great. And, uh, you know, as far as the nutrient profiles go, uh, 100% grass fed is what we're going for. So we're trying to avoid avoid the corn finished proteins wherever we can. So um, he, he's uh, he's been awesome. His product is amazing. Flavor is great. And uh, it's super clean. So okay. certainly that's been awesome. Well, that leads right into my second question is I did notice there's a theme of, of bacon and bison. And so, I mean, obviously – the bacon's a no-brainer. Everyone loves bacon. But I was going to ask, like, what was the real decision-maker when you're starting to say, no, we're going to focus all of our, you know, red meats on bison, not beef, um, not any of the, you know, not obviously. And then once you get to bison, you just mentioned, obviously, the reason why you didn't go with, like, a grain-finished bison because everything, you know, everything's grass started. So when they say grass fed, it's usually a marketing ploy to, in today's grocery markets mm-hmm. where it's, it has to say grass fed, grass finished. Cause every cow is started on grass. I mean, they're all started in the Midwest or the West on big ranches where the calves drop and they spend the whole first year on grass. And then they, you know, usually bring your 600 pound calves um, to a feedlot and they're finished on grain. So obviously yeah. you kind of went through that, but what was the decision point to just bison in general? Because I assume you know, it's bison, harder to source. It is. It's very. It's it's a lot harder to source. That was one of our big challenges coming into this uh, was finding a good source. We actually have a good guy locally um, who's been. He's just been great. Um, so it's, we've been really happy with uh, with the product he's been giving us. But there's a lot of health benefits to bison. Um, it's got different nutrient profiles than than beef does. Although grass fed beef is also very good and it's great for you. I think. Um, for us, we just, uh, you know, we liked that it was a grass-fed product. We liked that it was kind of a game animal. Um, you know, it's a historical game animal. It's one of the icons of the West. Um, and it's really good for you. Um, we like the flavor. Um, the uh, grass-fed beef, grass-fed bison, they're pretty similar. Um, I, I, from what we've heard from, from everyone, they don't think the bison has a gamey flavor. We don't think so either, um, especially when you're butchering a, you know, a 18 month old heifer. Um, but we, we just, uh, we like the bison. We like the, uh, the way the nutrient profiles kind of penciled out. This episode is brought to you by steelhead outdoors, creators of the only American made fire insulated modular gun safe on the market. That means you no longer have to convince three or four of your buddies to help you move your safe. No more blown out backs or pulled muscles and no more dings and dents to your home. They recommend having two people to lift and assemble your safe, which would make it incredibly easy because I just put my Recon 32 together by myself and I had it set up in less than an hour. I carried each panel of my safe into my home with just my two hands, yet once assembled, it had the same security and ruggedness you would expect from a gun safe. They have designed an integrated door frame, so it is nearly impossible to get into your gun safe without the code, which means your firearms are always 100% secure. Before I had my Steelhead Outdoors safe, I needed to get three buddies to help me move my old safe in and out of my home, and it was always the most stressful part of moving. But not anymore. Plus, 
Every Steelhead Outdoor Safe is made right here in Minnesota from start to finish, which means you are supporting a local business when you buy a Steelhead Outdoor Safe. Check out SteelheadOutdoors.com to see all of their size and color options and pick the right one for you. And use the code 2BUCKS, that's one word, 2 bucks to save $150 on your Steelhead Outdoor Safe. And... Um... And people love it too. I mean, people love bison and those definitely our bison entrees have been our top seller um, so far, those in the, in the breakfast scramble, but uh, people really dig it. So uh, we've just been keeping on with it and that's kind of been our, our, our go-to. So, well, it's a cool, it's a cool, um, it is a cool animal, right? It is an iconic animal or something about, you know, bison. It's like, oh, that's, you know, you just think of it as like a, a more rugged, um, badass, if you will, version of a cow. Like this thing is a cow made from the mountains. Like these things are huge. They got gnarly horns. They like the herds and the whole. It is like the icon of the West. And so I was just curious because I looked at that and I'm like, man, that well cool and well it definitely makes you stand out and differentiates you. It's got to be a headache sometimes finding bison because they don't grow as fast they don't they don't finish as high of uh you know finish weight percentage as a cow like there's a lot of things there's not as many farms and ranches that produce it so i was i was looking from a business perspective like that has to be a challenge to to stick to that gun and like no we're doing bison like bison's gonna be our main our main staple it is it's been tough and certainly uh as far as the cost goes you know i mean what we pay per pound uh, for grass-fed bison is, you know, double, if not triple, what we can get standard beef for. Um, so it's certainly more expensive. Um, you know, we are a premium option. We're not the we're not the cheapest meal on the market, but we've tried our best to stay competitive, um, uh, you know, with other companies. And certainly there's been some frustration, or I don't want to say frustration, but, you know, there's been some outfitters and stuff like that that we've worked with or tried to work with and said, Hey, you know, I'm getting these meals for X amount. And I said, well, you know, I mean, my, the bison in that meal costs almost that. So I, I don't know what to tell you, you know, uh, but uh, it's, you know, we, we didn't, we came into this thing, not trying to cut any corners and we tried to build these meals exactly how we wanted the perfect freeze dried meal to be. And uh, you know, so as far as cost goes, you know, for better, for worse, uh, we're just trying to put the best possible ingredients in our meals. And we felt like bison was, was the best option. Um, and again, grass fed beef is awesome too. Um, but we were just partial to the bison and that's kind of, I mean, it's really taken off. So I think, you know, yeah. for people, pe- people really like it. And I think we're going to stick with it because, uh, it's been, the reception has been great. So. And so when you, I assume you had freeze drying experience in a personal capacity before starting Alpine Ranch. I, I assume you kind of knew a little bit about the process going into it, but when, what happened where you're like, I'm going to hit the go button and we're going to start a brand around this because, you know, what were the reasons where you're like, I think this could be a big thing? Yeah, good question. I mean, yes. Yeah, so I bought a freeze dryer, I think it was 20, let's say it's 2018 and uh, started making meals, started realizing like, wow, like you can really make good food that freeze dries well. And, and that's through trial and error, right? 
many, many things do not freeze dry well. Um, many consistencies, many different types of food. A lot of stuff just doesn't freeze dry. Um, or it'll freeze dry, but it won't rehydrate well. The rehydration is really the key, right? right. Uh, you don't want to put meal in a bag and, and after 20 minutes, you got a bunch of crunchy you know, bits in there or whatever. You, it's just no good. So started uh, with my own freeze dryer and then my business partner, um, I was moving and so I gave him my freeze dryer to hold on to while I was kind of going through the sale process and he started, he's a great chef and uh, he started messing around with it too and we were like, man, we got some, some good stuff here. We had been, we'd gone on a backcountry hunt together um, that previous season and we were trying to find meal options. You know, we wanted high protein, we wanted high calorie um, and we wanted clean. We couldn't, we, we found high protein and high calorie. We couldn't find anything clean. So yeah. uh, we started messing around with them ourselves. I was like, I'm just going to start doing this myself and see what we can do. So we started, I started messing around with it. And then he started messing around with it. We were like, man, we got a really good, we got a really good thing here. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Uh, we started thinking about like, if, whether there was a, a niche in the market for a company like us. And we felt like there was, we felt like no one was doing what we were doing. Um, and uh, we just thought there was an opportunity there to make kind of the best possible freeze dry meal. It was kind of the best of both worlds, you know, like super restaurant quality taste, high protein, high calorie, uh, clean ingredients. And, uh, and uh, so we decided, you know what, let's, let's go for it. I was in construction at the time. I had a construction company building custom homes for um, over 10 years. And I thought, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready for a change, ready for something I'm passionate about. Um, the passion had kind of left. Um, I'd been in the industry for like 17. So I was, you know, I'd been a long time and I was kind of ready for something new. I wanted something that, that I was passionate about going into my, you know, late thirties and beyond. And, uh, so, so we kind of went for it and, um, I'll tell you what, I mean, it, it, it kind of really, it, it really snowballed once we realized what we were getting into. Um, it got a lot more difficult than I think we anticipated going into it at the beginning, but we, uh, we stayed the course and here we are. So I was just going to ask, was there a point when you got excited and you're like, ah, oh, we're going to start a business. This was working so good. Our meals are delicious. Everyone we give one to, they love it. And then you get into it a little bit and you realize like, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea anymore. Like we have FDA regulations. We have to do, we have to find a commercial kitchen that's qualified and, and certified. And we have to get all these, you know, I assume there's supply chain. You have to track where you're getting your product from and you have to do all kinds of, you know, temperatures and making sure the ingredients are always fresh and not contaminated in any way. And a lot, I'm just paperwork in general. Did you ever get to the point where you're like, I don't know. This looks like a lot. <laughs> I think by that point it was too late. <laughs> oh yeah. I got to the point where you're like, well, so, nowhere to go, but up. Yeah. I mean, so basically where we, where we landed, we're like, okay, like we're going to do this. And so we thought what we'll do is we'll find a, we'll find a local commissary kitchen where we can cook the product. And then we'll have a small space where we can have our freeze dryers and we'll, we'll cook the product and we can freeze dry. Cause right. I mean, it's one thing um, to find a kitchen where you can cook and obviously all, ki all kitchens that you're cooking food in that's sold to the public are regulated and they've got to be licensed and everything else. So 
but most companies, smaller companies, whether you're a catering business or whether you're selling, you know, a cottage food or whatever, you, you, you can go to a commissary kitchen, which is a licensed kitchen that is shared by a bunch of people. And, and uh, you can use that um, as kind of your, your, your home base. And, and we thought we could just have a freeze dried space. So I started talking to the FDA, talking to the local health department. I basically, they said, no, like you can't, uh, you can't cook the food in one place and then freeze dry it in another. Um, you're gonna have transport issues, transporting, you know, finished product, this and that. They're like, it's not gonna work. You gotta do everything in one place. Well, that rolls out a commissary kitchen. So we realized, okay, we need to build a, we gotta build our own commercial kitchen. And then uh, we gotta build, you know, our freeze dry space on top of that. And then we started getting into some, so we decided, okay, like let's, let's hire someone who can help us um, navigate these waters. And so we hired a lady from the university of Idaho and she, she helped us out, you know, building our, our hazard plan and, and kind of figuring out the design of our space and that sort of thing. Um, and as we started going through this with her, we started realizing more and more like all the things that we would need, uh, you know, our packaging space, all the different surfaces that we had to have, you know, dialed in in our facility. So then we realized, okay, we need a facility. Uh, we're gonna have to find a place where we can build this. And then we got to figure out, you know, do we build a small commercial kitchen and do we have just a couple freeze dryers and uh, we start small? Um, and uh, we, we were thinking about that. We're like, well, if this thing blows up, we're going to need a new space like very soon or we're not going to be able to meet demand. Um, so we're like, well, we better build a space that's big enough to grow into. Um, so we found a building out here. It ended up being an, I mean, I live in Boise, but um, about 30 minutes uh, north, northwest of me. Um, we found a space out here. I was trying to get something closer to home, but there just wasn't anything available. So we found a space out here. It was bigger than what we needed, but we we're able to get a tenant in the back of the building. And uh, we built out a 2,500 square foot commercial kitchen. Um, <laughs> wow. And, uh, and then we have our, our freeze dryer room. We've got 30 freeze dryers and we're basically built to grow. So we built, built the business to, uh, you know, to be able to grow into. Um, and certainly that came with some costs that have made things difficult, certainly early on. So I think we kind of, we swapped, uh, you know, headache later on for headache earlier on as we grow, because we've got to keep feeding this thing um, and keep it afloat until we can meet enough demand uh, to get profitable. But uh, the, the good part about that is uh, as, as we grow, um, we're, we're definitely well built and set up to, to expand and do a bunch of volume um, once we get there. So what do you think your facility could do in terms of volume per week or per month? However, it's easiest to measure, but like what, how many like meals can the facility do you, in your mind, like accommodate before you would have to move again? Uh, I mean, we could do, you know, 5,000 meals a month out of here, um, pretty easily. Um, so, you know, 5,000 meals a month, that's what 60, 60,000 meals a year. Um, so, and actually, to be honest, we could add our, our kitchens big enough and, uh, the equipment that we have, um, you know, our walk-ins and, you know, blast chiller and all that, everything's big enough to, uh, to accommodate even more. So we were really, we could just add more freeze drying, um, 
capability. We could add a big machine and uh, we could, we could probably even double that. So, wow. Um, in this facility, we should be able to be here for a while. Hopefully someday we, you know, we build something new because uh, this is our first go around. Obviously we've made some mistakes never doing this before. And there's no, uh, there's no blueprint out there. You know, there's no info out there for someone starting a freeze dry business. People are very, you know, they play their cars real close to the vest. Uh, and for good reason, you know, I mean, there's a big barrier to entry in this business, um, especially cost wise. And, you know, it's good if you can get in. Um, but obviously I'm sure a lot of companies don't want more, more companies entering the market. So certainly we had our, our work cut out for us. Um, but so far, so good. So far, uh, everything's performed really well as far as our equipment goes and, and our facility and the flow of everything. Like things worked like even better than we expected. So uh, pretty happy about that. Yeah. In the, in the podcasting world, the, there's a number of 100 episodes. And if you can hit 100 episodes without quitting, you've made it, right? Uh-huh. And then you, and you, you will keep going. But like, I think it's, like 80% or a very high number, a majority of podcasts don't even hit their 10th episode. So the, like if you hit your 10th, you're doing good. But if you can hit your 100th episode, you've made it. Is there a number in your mind on like how many meals, like you have a goal to like hit and like we've made it. We've done this many meals and we're here to stay. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily the amount of meals as much as the amount of time. Um because for us, a lot of our costs, I mean, we obviously we haven't, you know, we're not, we're not profitable yet. Um, if anything, we're, we're negative and we've been negative from the beginning um, just because of our, the, the cost of our facility and equipment and all the other associated costs that go with running a business like this, all the licensing and insurance and, and everything else. Uh, but um, I think if we can make it to the end of next season, certainly, uh, we'll have two seasons under our belt. We don't really count last season because no one really knew about us. Um, only a select few amount of people in the industry were able to use our product. Um, so unfortunately we, because of COVID delays and stuff like that, we weren't able to launch last spring, we were, you know, or the, the right. spring before last 22. Um, so if we can make it through, uh, into winter 24, uh, I think we're going to be in good shape. Um, I think really it just comes down to time. You know, we're a direct consumer business. So, uh, you know, there's, there's pros and cons of that. Uh, you know, our margins are not super high, unfortunately. So it's hard for us to, to get into that wholesale model, which could, you know, really give us some big orders, you know, that could really kind of fill, fill the, uh, fill the tank, so to speak. Um, so we got to do everything organically and, and everyone's got to come to us individually. We're not going to be in your REIs. We're not going to be in your sportsman's or Cabela's or Bass Pro or anything like that. Um, just because we, uh, we can't get our margins low enough to, at least not right now to where, you know, it's, it's, it's appealing to them. So, um, it comes with its own challenges because you gotta really, you just gotta, we do, we just, people just find out about us through word of mouth. Um, we really haven't done any marketing. Our only marketing has been sending meals to people we trust and respect and uh, hope they give us good reviews, which so far everything's been very good. Um, but uh, a lot of guys in the industry have been using our stuff and, and uh, you know, they've had nothing but good things. 
know, there's, there's certainly a couple of companies that are, you know, hold most of the market share in this space. And uh, we're certainly not for everyone, but for people who care about what they're putting in their bodies and who want the best tasting freeze-dried meal, in our opinion, out there, um, we're certainly uh, a good option for those people. So, and you know, if you go into the back country and you're only, if you're doing one hunt a year and you're spending, you know, eight days and seven nights in the back country, you know, um, pay a little more money, but get something that you're going to feel great waking up the next day and get something that, you know, maybe is a little more expensive, but tastes a lot better than the other options. And it's, and it's lighter and you're carrying less on your back. I think you can really um, improve the quality of your hunt, uh, you know, by, by going with an option like us. So. Well, yeah. And I did see, I did see uh, John Barklow posted a story and he was posting his pack list for a hunt and I was scrolling through it. Cause I had John on, I have another podcast called the Western rookie, which is far larger and it's targeted at helping people hunt the West, primarily a Midwestern market demographic and people that are traveling out to the West. And I'm like, what do I do? And so I had him on and, and I, we should probably get you on that podcast too. Cause that's the one where it's like, Hey, this is, you know, how you would, design a, a food system and how a freeze-dried entree or two can fit into your daily you know plan but as I was scrolling through John's plan I saw him call out like he didn't even call out like you know one entree per day he was like Alpine Ranch and the meal that he was going to eat for each one I was like hey I'm talking to Logan later this week that's pretty cool so you must have sent him one or got connected with him at some point in time because he added in his backcountry mission planning uh, list for whatever his next hunt is. I love John. That guy's awesome, man. What a wealth of knowledge. Um, I've been following him for, I don't know, three, four years. And uh, I've learned, I've just learned so much about, you know, sleep system and, and fabrics and, you know, synthetics versus, you know, wool and just all these different things that he's so knowledgeable about. Um, so I sent him some meals. God, I'm trying to think, I think I sent him some meals last spring. He was, he was crazy guy. He was going to go out like, uh, and do like a snow camping expedition and like, just for fun, probably just for fun, just to test and see if his, you know, if his sick stuff was working or whatever. Um, so I sent him some meals and he tried them. I actually, I sent him the prototype of our stroganoff, which we just launched um, about a week ago. Um, but he tried that back in the spring. He really liked that one. Um, and then he's, you know, been ordering some meals from us ever since. So it's pretty cool. But uh he, uh, he, he digs the meals a lot. Um, I'm, I don't know if it's because the calories per ounce ratios. I don't know if it's the taste. I don't know if it's the protein. Uh, I'm not sure, but, uh, but he's, he, he likes them. He says that's all he's going to eat. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. Because I was going to ask, as you were talking about building the brand. So usually I think of when you build a business, a lot of us are, and maybe, it's me, but I'm very technical based. I'm an engineer. So I look at a list of things like to accomplish, like I right, built the website, built the product. I can package the product. I tested this. I got everything set up I, so I can sell a product. And it's like, all right, I've built a business. Well, not really. I started a business, but building a business is different. That's where you have to build your brand and you have to grow and you have to market. And so I was hearing you and I was going to say, typically the easy part is starting and opening up like to to hit your open date it's usually the easiest part then from there on it's where the work begins on on growing this my alpine ranch and your story might be one of those exception clauses where dealing with building a kitchen and all the fda regulation and becoming certified and all the paperwork 
might truly be a little bit harder. But now you are seeing like in the next step, like you got that hard stuff done and now it's time to grow. And, and I was going to ask like, what have you thought through like different ideas you'd like to try or what the plan would be for like get your name out there is it trade shows with jet boils going and little sampler spoons of each meal or or you know you mentioned obviously like sending some to some key people that you really trust to give it a good review and post it and promote it like john what's that kind of look like for this like next phase or next season of alpine ranch yeah, I know. Totally. I mean, that's definitely, I mean, I think we got through this really hard part, which was opening. And then we realized we are still in the really hard part because now we got to, now we got to make a business of it. Um, so it hasn't gotten any easier, I wouldn't say. Um, and it's certainly a different business than like, you know, when I was in construction, um, I only needed to close, you know, a couple deals a year and I was, I was okay, but we're, we have to close, you know, multiple deals every day, just stay afloat. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, we've tried different things, you know, we've tried the Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram, we, we didn't really see much return at all. Um, and I think that's just, you know, I think there's, there's companies out there who can throw a lot of money at marketing and they can see a return, um, a nominal number that makes it make sense i think for us at least so far hasn't been the case um it's really uh it's really a product that people just i think i think what we're realizing is you know people are gonna have to try it and they're gonna have to tell other people and it's gonna be organic growth and um our product speaks for itself but uh you know people are gonna have to give other people rave reviews or they're gonna have to hear from people they trust um and so that's been guys like like John, like Snyder, like other guys um, in the industry that have, you know, tried it and had great things to say. Um, and I mean, I think the fact that some of these guys are only running our meals um, speaks for itself. And we're not even just giving them to them, you know, guys are paying for meals. I mean, you'd be surprised a lot of these big guys in the industry don't want to, don't want to take handouts. Um, you would think, I mean, they could get everything for free all day as much as they want, but they also understand, you know, smaller companies who are trying to make it and they try not to take advantage. And so we really appreciate that. Um, but I think going into going into next year, certainly trade shows, trade shows are on our radar show season. Um, we want to hit at least two or three um, of the big shows this next year. And there's some costs associated with that. But we're, we're preparing for, for that. And uh, hopefully just, you know, be able to mix with some more people in the industry. Hopefully, uh, you know, not only do people find out about us at the, at the shows, but, uh, you know, we can form more good relationships with great outdoor companies. Um, you know, we feel like we're doing stuff the right way, uh, with a lot of integrity and, uh, not cutting any corners. And I think that that speaks to a lot of people who are looking for, you know, for something good, you know, uh, so far, I think people are like, wow, I I don't really have anything bad to say. Like this kind of fulfill, this kind of checks all my boxes. And that's what we're going for. Yeah. And, and I would imagine getting in front of a person where, where you're cooking the actual freeze dried, like you open the bag in front of them. It's not like, yeah, this is the same recipe, but it's fresh. Cause that, regardless if it tastes the same, I think, you know, we had Sean Curtis on the other podcast. I don't know if you know him, but he's a, a DIY food um, freeze dryer. He, he just spends okay. like 200, he does like 200 meals a year. So he's like, I might as well buy the thing. Also, I'm going to go broke with me and my three kids and my wife camping every weekend. 
Right. And so he said, you know, when we get our recipes dialed in, it's like 97% of the flavor of fresh. Like it, it really is delicious. And yeah. so I just think like if you open the bag in front of them, though, they will realize like I'm not cutting corners showing you at a trade show how good it could be. This is how good it really is. When yeah. you're going to be on the mountain, this is what it's going to taste like. And just that one spoon, you're like, oh, man, that was good. And then, you know, it takes a, probably a while. I mean, you could definitely bring some and sell them at the show, but it would probably be like, you know, they'll keep you in mind. And then when they get to, you know, August and they're planning their elk hunt, they're going to remember you and, and buy from you. So it's hard to pencil out, like, how much do we dump into trade shows? Because we're probably not going to sell a ton of them at the show in February. We're going to sell it to that person come August. And so that's that part's tough. And that's where I was wondering, have you done anything with like digital, just analytics gathering? Like, do you have the Google pixel installed to your website so you can at least start gathering some of that demographic data? Yeah, we are. We're gathering data for sure. Um, and just, but it's, obvious, it's, uh, you know, that's a, that's a part of our business that we're certainly, uh, we're certainly more lacking in. Um, I would say lacking. It's just that that's, that's been a, that's been a supplemental thing that we've worked on um, in addition to the, the other marketing options that we kind of focused on initially. Well, yeah, gathering is key, I think, just to gather. For any business starting out, like, just do that because it's free and you don't have to do anything with it. You can stockpile that data for two years. And I, everyone's there. Like, you can only do so much at once, and you've got to focus on one thing at a time to really know if it's working or not. And so um, I think it's pretty normal to gather and not do anything with it. But then when you get to that phase, it helps, it helps whether you do it alone, which I probably wouldn't do alone because I'm not a marketer. And so I'd probably get some help from someone that is, but then I can give them this data and say, this is what I got to work with. And then they're going to be, you know, they look like it's Christmas morning and they just came down the stairs and there's a bunch of presents under the tree. Cause now they have something to work with. Right. And so that's what I've always been curious about because I don't, I never thought of it that way because my business, I have a beard oil business, mm-hmm. is very high margin business. I mean, it, it, it's just the nature of the cosmetic industry. I price my products so cheap and everyone told me, like, you need to you need to raise your prices. And I'm like, I am already have a big margin. Like, I feel guilty charging anymore. And so, <laughs> right. um, but it's not a high ticket item. So when it comes to doing digital advertising, I'm probably not going to be profitable on my first sale. It's probably going to cost me you know, even if I sell a beard oil for $12, it's probably going to cost me $12 to acquire a new customer in advertising. So I need to look at LTV, like lifetime value of that customer. And I think that's anything consumable is really where you need to be. Durables, it kind of depends. Like Sitka, obviously, they start to look at LTV because they obviously they have a way of funneling people into different pieces of gear and, and you stick with that person throughout their life and they'll add more and more. But certain durables like like a, a shovel, for example, like you buy a shovel once you're out of the shovel market for the rest of your life. So you got to make yeah, your money on that first sale. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, it was, it was a really remarkable podcast. I had uh, Milo McCannon from outdoor e-commerce and he's talked to like, yeah, we can set up, you got to look at your, your economics and see like, can you be profitable with your first sale? Is that the business model you have? Or do you have to get two or three sales to be profitable and so then we have to start looking at LTV, like what's your customer LTV? And I thought that was something with with a food company like Alpine Ranch where you could, that metric is going to be key. Like once you get that customer like John and he says, I'm only buying this and he keeps coming back, like 
you have to you know you have to protect and like just cherish that one customer in that LTV because that is the business model. Once you have them, it's so much easier to to sell to that person again. And with a company yes. like yours, that the product speaks for itself. I mean, that's going to be. I feel like that is really how you're going to just exponentially take off. And that's going to be, that's the thing, right? I talked to my wife and it's, she's like, oh, well, what's, you know, like, what are, where, are we going to be in the same spot next year? You know, and it's like, we're in a tough spot. And it's like, well, you know, if every one of our customer, I mean, we, across the board, our customers have had rave reviews. Um, we've had, you know, tons of repeat customers already. And if every one of those people can tell one person and we can, you know, even just double next year, like that would be amazing. Um, and I, you know, if you're someone who hunts the back country every year and you've tried our product, I think it's going to be hard to go back personally. Um, and that's just what people have told us, you know, it's like, I don't, I can't eat the other stuff anymore. I just feel too good, you know? So, uh, you know, long-term that's definitely, uh, that's definitely the focus is just doing things the right way, giving our customers, you know, the best possible quality product. And, uh, you know, that product kind of sells itself. You know, if you look at good, you know, a good restaurant, you know, they may not start out slam, but once they get a reputation, people want to eat there all the time. All of a sudden, you know, they, you know, they got to turn people away constantly. And, you know, we hope we never have to turn someone away, but we hope we can get to a point where, um, you know, people are, you know, buying all of our meals and we got to, you know, double our production or whatever else to, to keep up with demand and that's only going to come with time um i'm sure you know if we had some deep pocket backers that could uh, really push push the marketing side for us um i'm sure we could force the issue a little more but uh fortunately we don't have that you know we're, we're self-funded and um you know my business partner and i have you know bootstrapped this whole thing ourselves and uh you know, so far it's, it's worked out, but it's not easy. Uh, I understand why startups, you know, get angel investors and stuff like that, because it's tough when, uh, you know, you haven't made a dime in two years and you got to tell your wife, Hey, we got to put some more money into the business, you know, but, uh, but we're getting there. So. Yeah. And I think the shows will go big. I mean, you go to like the Western hunt expo, first of all, you start cooking. I mean, it's it's an investment, right? But you start cooking some meals, and you start getting those flavors drifting around, and everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, what's that smell?" And like, "Oh, dude, the Alpine Ranch guys are firing up the cookers, and they got you can go over there and get avocado uh, fajitas and uh, you know bison stroganoff and all these different the jambalaya." And all of a sudden, people are like, "Oh, I'm kind of hungry anyway. I'm gonna go taste test that." And all of a sudden, people are coming through the booth. I I really do feel like that would be a magical like opportunity to really hit the ground running and it's a perfect demographic i mean it's basically sheep hunters yep no doubt i think that's yeah no doubt sheep sheep show and hunt expo are definitely the, the number one and two you know on our on our on our radar here going into the winter and, that would be uh, fun yeah. I've heard a lot of I, Western Hunt Expos on my list as well. I've heard a lot of great things about it. And now taking on the Western Rookie Podcast, I really feel like cool. I should go and just set up a podcast booth and just podcast, invite people in, do like 15 minutes at a time, get a bunch of cool stories, like quick ones, bonus episodes and stuff like that. But I'm hoping to get to the Western Hunt Expo soon because I, I think it, I've heard a lot of really fun stuff about it. So um, Yeah, I've heard really good things. See, that seems like it's number one these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the world. So, yeah, yeah, it does. And one thing I was curious about, 
because I've first of all I've never seen a freeze dried recipe that was fajitas with avocado rice, and so I'm like that sounds delicious. How do you come up with your recipes? Like, is like who is the like who's the mastermind chef? Is that the business partner? Like, how do you decide? Yeah. Like, yeah, I like eating this, but is this a meal we should release? Because it's pretty common. For one, there's not a you don't. It's not like you go to a freeze dried company and get the same size menu you get at like a um a, a chain restaurant. Right, cheesecake factory. Yeah, like cheesecake factory. That's awesome. I didn't know if they had them out in Idaho, so I didn't say that. But basically, yeah, it's like a forty-page menu. You can get whatever you want, and at the same time, like I've seen other companies, like especially in the startup space, where it's like this sounds like a cool company, but I don't know if I would like any of your meals. Like I just like it's just not my palate, and so I don't. That's where I was like, how do you come up with a meal and say, like, first of all, it tastes great, but second of all, I think this could be a big winner in the market. I think the market also likes this, not just me and my family. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and that's uh, that's John, John, my business partner. I mean, I, that's that's all him. Uh, he he really uh, I mean, we we talked about certain things we had to have. Uh, one of them was John Belia. John's been making John Belia at hunting camp for I don't know. So as long as I can remember, it's always amazing. Um, that was when we knew we had to have. Um, and uh, so obviously you, you make a jambal, you make a jambalaya. That sounds great. But then you got to start figuring out, okay, what am I going to put in this jambalaya? That's going to, going to fuel people and taste awesome and be high protein. And so we start, you know, start adding the uncured bacon and the uncured ham and we make our own sausage. So we make any sausage in our recipes, like the Andouille sausage, we make that here in house. Um, and uh you know wild caught shrimp you know so you start with that and then you start making sure you add the right macros to uh to make sure it's high enough calorie but the the fajita with avocado rice that was just one that john uh john came up with we were trying to create some some cold entrees uh so some some entrees that actually rehydrate with cold water uh, there's a lot of guys that go stoveless and so we wanted to kind of capture a little bit of that market. Um, and this is one that rehydrates awesome cold. So the avocado rice is something you can eat cold or you can eat hot. Um, it's basically rice with a fresh pico de gallo that we make and then a bunch of fresh avocado, lime juice. Um, the rice we use is uh, from a little farm out in Chico, California that makes uh, that does organic rice and they call it a blonde it's kind of it's it's like a it's like in the middle between a brown rice and a white rice so it's a white rice but it slows the germ and it's got a lot more fiber um it's got kind of a nice nutty flavor so we use that rice for all of our for all of our uh all of our entrees that have rice in them um but that avocado rice is too it's it's awesome and then we just add i mean it's not your true fajita where it's strips of meat right we use ground just because rehydration um, that just seems to rehydrate the best. So it's a, it's a, it's a ground bison with a bunch of fajita seasonings and it's that avocado rice with the pico de gallo and the corn and try to get veggies into every one of our entrees. Those keep you regular. Um, and, uh, so we try to keep the fiber up, keep the veggies high. Um, all our produce is organic. So hundred percent of every all of our produce comes into our facilities organic, which is, has its own challenges. Got to bring a lot of stuff in from out of state, uh, whether it's Oregon, California, Idaho. We don't grow a whole lot of 
organic stuff. Maybe uh, organic potatoes. Yeah, even those, not not a whole <laughs> lot. Our organic potatoes, I think we mainly get from Oregon. Uh, okay. So you know, for whatever reason, I mean, I, I would love to get potatoes from a, from a local supplier, um, but we use Yukon Golds, and they got to be organic, and that's just uh, it's tougher to find. Um, but uh, we found certain farms. We have a supplier locally that pulls from a lot of different farms um, throughout the West. And so we can select which farms we want. So we can find like, if we order from this farm this time, and it's awesome, we can order from them again. Um, and it helps us kind of maintain good quality. Cause there is, I mean, there's certainly a huge difference. I and mean, I can get organic red bell peppers from one farm or another. And it's, it's, there's a, there's a massive difference in the quality. Um, so we try to, take notes on, on which farms are the best and make sure we try to pull from them every time. That's worked really well for us. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, all the entrees really, I mean, it just like, they started out conceptual and then John would make a, you know, he'd make one batch and then we'd try it and then try again, add this, add that. And then we start plugging the, the nutrients in. It's like, well, the calories per ounce aren't great. Like how do we get the calories up or, you know, the protein isn't where we need it to be. We try to hit 40 grams at least in every meal. Um, you're trying to refuel your muscles. So that was important to us. But, uh, you know, then you start adding calories to the meal and then it comes with its own set of challenges. So really it's just a dialing in process over a long period of time. The stroganoff is our longest one to dial in. Um, that one we wanted to launch last year, but we just kept working and working and working, trying to get it right. And I think we really nailed it. I mean, it really, and when I say we, John really nailed it. Um, it turned out awesome, but uh, it took some time. And then every time we launch a new product, there's a big cost involved with that because we've got to order our packaging. Our packaging is super expensive. Yeah. Um, that and we got to order rough. a lot of it. So plus all of the R and D it takes to launch a new product. I mean, that adds up too. I mean, you want, you want to hold like, that's why I I feel like it's common when you get these, like I'll, I'll pick on mountain house and they might comment on me, but you, you see the same mountain house recipes for over a decade. It's like, well, they spent probably a lot of money to bring this recipe to the market. They don't really want to start over. Right. So, um, but no, I no, think, I, I mean, I haven't, well, get this. I haven't even had a jambalaya ever in my life. But looking at the really? ingredients, yeah, never. Well, I'm from the Minnesota, I'm from Minnesota. So it's like our seasoning is salt and pepper. And, okay. and so, but it looks delicious when I look at the ingredients. And I was going to just lead right into the fact that I think your company is the first company I've, out of all freeze-dried companies where I looked at every recipe ahead of time. And I was like, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds amazing. That sounds delicious. Like every one of them. And like, so like for me, the chili verde fiesta rice is probably the the most out on the fringe for me. Like I don't, I would never really order a chili uh, verde entree at a restaurant, but then when I look at yours and I'm reading through, it's like, well, I like pork shoulder. I don't know about verde sauce, but I like tomatoes, peppers, garlic, onion. I love cilantro and lime. I love fiesta rice. I love the bell peppers. I love the onion. Sweet corn's delicious. I mean, it's like I probably would love it. And so I've, usually I can't find a company like that. Usually I'm I'm looking through, and the only recipes I'd really like are the ones that are sold out. 
Right. <laughs> well, I mean, we love food, man. I mean, we love food. We love good food. We wanted something that tastes awesome. If it didn't, if it wasn't awesome, we didn't, I mean, there's plenty of recipes that we thought would be good. And, you know, by the time you get down to it, it's just not quite there, just not quite uh, up to snuff, you know? Um, I mean, the chili variety with fiesta rice, that's, that's honestly might be my favorite. Um, you know, we make our own verde sauce. So, you know, verde sauce is, is tomatillos and onions and peppers. And, you know, you, we have our ways of making it that all gets blended together um, to make that verde sauce. And then the fiesta rice is awesome. It's basically rice with some really good cheese in it and uh, tomatoes and a bunch of other, you know, corn and good stuff. Um, it's, it's high calorie. It's, uh, it tastes freaking amazing. Um, and I don't think it's super, uh, I, I, well, I will say this, I, I would say not as many people are buying that one. Um, and I'm not, I think it's just more a, uh, you know, maybe a preconceived notion in people's mind. Like it just doesn't sound as good to them, but I will say that people who have been buying it, they keep buying it. Um, and they buy more of it. So certainly it's one, you know, for the is listeners it, out there. Is it try. spicy? It's a, it's a little spicy, but not, not, not really. I mean, mo any of our recipes that have spice, we don't put a lot of spice because we, we were trying not to polarize people too much. I mean, certainly for me, uh, I could have more spice in all of our spicy recipes, but I know there's people out there who can't handle much. So yeah, you gotta, uh, you gotta rank it, rank it on a Minnesota scale, not a New Mexico scale for me. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I got a lot of family in New Mexico. Um, and that's where my mom grew up and I, being out there with them. And that is, uh, they eat some spicy food. I, I love it, but. Have you, have you looked at doing any like bundle packs or like a, a variety pack of um, anything like that to, to maybe for one higher order value, but also for someone that's like, I don't really know what I want or, you know, I, you just, I don't really know where to start. Just, Hey, get this bucket. It's like, you know, two of the breakfasts and one of every other meal or three breakfasts, two of uh, the bologna and the, you know, a jambalaya and a fried rice and a chili verde or something like that. Does that come across the, the idea um, list yet? Yeah, I think the, the one thing is, you know, well, I would say our most common order um, has been this whole summer, um, at least initially for, for customers, is they just get one of each and they just try them all. And uh, and some people come back and they, they end up ordering, you know, three, four, five of, of certain entrees. Some people come back, they still order just a mixed bag. Uh, just depends on the customer. Other people, they'll order one of everything except one that maybe doesn't sound good to them. Um, so we thought about doing, you know, like like a big pack and kind of what we where we settled was, hey, like the volume discount that we're gonna offer people is we'll give you free shipping if your order value is 150. Um, okay. So That's the shipping fair. is expensive for us because of the uh, size. Man, it, it, just the size. Yeah. yeah, it's the size. It's not the weight. The weight is fine, but the size and shipping is so. It's just crazy the uh, the different costs to ship to certain areas of the country. You know, in our in my little circle up here, like shipping to Montana, Oregon, Washington, even California um, and Nevada, like it's it's cheap, but. Shipping to Florida, even shipping to places like Ohio, Minnesota, um, obviously the East Coast. I mean, it can be three, four times or more 
what it costs to ship here. Um, and given our margins and the size of our product, like if you order one meal um, and we shipped it for free, we would lose money on that deal every time. So we had to oh, figure yeah. out, we had to figure out like, you know, I know there's companies out there that give free shipping and uh, we, instead of, if we were going to do something like that, we would have had to raise our prices and then offer incentives like free shipping. And so we figured, well, let's try to keep our prices low. If people want to ship for free, if they can get to the, you know, eight meal mark, essentially, um, then, uh, then we'll ship them to it, for, ship it to them for free. Um, and that seems to be working out pretty well so far. I would say most people, they might order just one of each right off the bat, and then they'll come back with a big order. Um, to hit that free shipping number. Well, does so. your sh- so I see your website's a custom job, um, custom design, right? You look, worked with a team to design it. Do you get shipping discounts um, from your website supplier or whoever you do your order fulfillment through? Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. we 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 use Shippo. Uh, we tried. I tried a bunch. You know, I did trials of a bunch of different um, shipping companies uh, initially. And, um, they seem to have the best rates of anyone. So, okay. We, yeah, we, I just we, know that I don't know the rates of all of them. I just know that I, my business is on Shopify, which I love for a product company and they have some pretty competitive shipment rates and savings at, and different types of shipping. Cause that's the same thing. Like my beard oil is only an ounce, but I got to put it in a box and pad it. So then the box gets a little bigger and it's for me, it's like a $5 item or a six bucks if I didn't have a discount. And I'm mm-hmm. typically shipping for three ninety nine or four thirty six is a common one, um, right? And so, same thing. Like I can't really give away free shipping on one bottle, but if you, I have a multiple option to to ship. Yeah. Um, so I just want to make sure you had something because there's a lot of them that you can do afterwards. You can do stamps dot com. You can do what you have Shippo. You could switch to Shopify. Like there's, I just, I always want to make sure like you you're getting the best deal for you. And not just yep. go into the post office and say, "Hey, I need a label," and you're like, "Yeah, $15. no, <laughs> no." And it's you know, and it's I mean, it's it's crazy if you if you get a rate that's not through our through Shippo, it's crazy how much more expensive it is. I mean, it's way, way, way more. Um, and, and like I said, I tried um, five or six of the top you know fulfillment companies and tried. I mean, I wanted to look at their platforms and ease of use and stuff like that, but mostly I was concerned with the costs because I know customers hate, you know, they put stuff in their cart and then they go to get it shipped and then it's additional cost on top of, you know, what's already not cheap. And I know that kind of can sting a little bit. So we were trying to keep the shipping costs as low as we could. And we don't mark our shipping up at all. Um, We just pass it straight to the customer because we're trying to keep them as low as we can. Right. Um, And uh, so we were certainly like, okay, how do we get the best deal? for the customer so we can keep people coming back. Um, you know, even if they just want to order, you know, four or five at a time. So, right. Yeah, no, it's a good strategy. I mean, you got to do what you can to, to be competitive and there's a lot of ways you can do that. You know, like you said, companies offer free shipping, but that's not for everyone. And there's, you know, there's better ways that you can be competitive. Um, you know, authenticity word of mouth like the trust factor when i see someone like john barklow like i would never refute anything john says right Right. like i know he's an expert in everything backcountry like who am i to say no i don't think that's right or i don't think it's as good as you say it is john it's like 
the dude's an expert. I mean, he he's trained the world's most elite soldiers. He's been doing this his entire life. If he says something works, I'm like, okay, it works. I'm gonna I'm gonna go that direction. <laughs> yeah, and no doubt. And I think you know, obviously, food is subjective, right? So everyone has their own tastes. Everyone likes different things. Um, I mean, there's some people out there who don't like our meals because they said it tastes too healthy. Tastes um, too healthy. That's a new one. Yeah. Do you yeah, have the McDonald's um, <laughs> freeze-dried McDonald's then? What do you want? <laughs> I'm not even joking. We had an outfitter tell us that it wasn't, it wasn't enough like McDonald's, that it needs to taste more like McDonald's. So that's what uh, – Mountain House tastes like McDonald's. That's what people are looking for when they're hunting. I'm like, I don't know. I don't eat McDonald's, so I, I couldn't comment on that, but I don't think I'd feel very good if I was eating McDonald's. Oh, my gosh, house. No. No, not at all. It would be nice though if you could like if out like if an outfitter, maybe like when you get to like the premier outfitters, not like budget outfitters, because I know there's a huge range on outfitters. But man, wouldn't that be cool if like a big outfitter is like, hey, we have a hundred clients coming in this year, so that's seven hundred days of backcountry meals that we're going to need a basically a lunch entree for while our guides are out with the client. Plus, every client like every two clients has one guide, right? So now we need. 1750 meals from you and you're like right awesome and we have we have some pretty good uh we, we we've signed some pretty good outfitter deals um you know this year and it's really that's really been a focus for us especially for the off season um is working those deals uh for outfitters who are trying to step their game up and give you know i mean you got clients paying 35 40 50 grand you know for a dollar stone sheep hunt or brown bear hunt, you know, 25, 30,000. So, I mean, well, even 10,000, I, th- I view it in a little bit different view though. Like if I'm an outfitter, what are my options for lunch? Right. I want my clients to be successful, which means I want them out on the mountain all day long. I don't want right. them coming back to camp for lunch. Okay. So I got to send them with something. Now, do I really want my cooks to be making 20 or 30 sandwiches a day and bagging them up and giving them to everyone? I could, but that stuff weighs a lot, so I got to bring it in here on horses. It takes a time every day, or do I just go get someone like Alpine Ranch to to you know create two crates full of food and we just bring them in and every day it's like pick a meal out of the crate on your way to your horse and you know it's done and we just bake that into our pricing because even if you have a ten thousand dollar hunt like that's there's food in that and you have to pay for food either way and you have to pay the labor to prepare the food for your clients whereas if you buy a freeze-dried meal you don't have the time and you don't have the labor to pay for it so i would view it as like kind of a no-brainer if i was an outfitter like we're doing freeze-dried lunches they taste delicious because we use alpine ranch meals they're organic i mean that's the kind of how i would view it because i view it as like a time and efficiency thing not necessarily a you know i'm not that's not where i would pinch pennies i guess as an outfitter yeah, you know, and everyone's different, right? So yeah, we've got out there to feel exactly that way. Um, this will be their first season, obviously, running our meals. So we'll see how the reception is with the clients and the guides. Um, I've had some guides that I've sent meals to um, individually, just the guide, because they're like, I can't eat the mountain house uh, yeah. for the whole season. So can you please send me some meals and all, you know? Um, so we've done that. Um but as far as like, I, I thought the uptake would be bigger. We sent meal, meals to a ton of outfitters uh, this past winter. And I thought for sure we'd get kind of a little more interest um, 
but you know, people, what people are paying for your peak or mountain house, as far as wholesale prices go is, I mean, it's less than what we can make our meal for, um, and quite a bit less. So they can really undercut us in that regard, but there is just a difference in right. you know, level quality. And so hopefully I think, uh, hopefully there'd be more to demand on the client end. Like, Hey, you know, can I get, you know, a high quality meal to eat at the end of the day? Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at the cost, I mean, if it's a hundred dollars a client additional, um, for the season, yeah, I mean, it adds up, all costs add up. And I know Alfred's got to make a, they got to make a living and I know it's a tough, tough business and they can only make money you know, a couple months a year. So I totally get it. Um, I think it's a diversifier personally. Um, you can show your client, Hey, right. I'm giving you the best possible meal. Uh, when you're here in this hunt, you're going to feel good waking up every morning and, and you're going to really enjoy that meal at the end of the day. Um, so we'll see, we'll see, hopefully, uh, going into next year, next season, we'll, we'll get even more clients on that side, but, um, you know, all, all again, just comes down to time and, uh, organic growth, you know? Well, uh, it may be, you know, a year or two down the road, you have like a different volume of scale that allows you to do better things and maybe get a couple more outfitters which then helps you grow to that next volume of scale like when you're small everything costs more like everything your cost of acquisition your cost of products your time your labor i mean it all adds up way more where if you're like consistently at that you know five thousand meal a month or ten thousand meals a month and you can plan out um the nice thing i would feel about like a lot of nice things come with big out orders but like with your product it has a pretty stable shelf life i mean Maybe not forty years that you see like on a mountain house bag, but I don't need my meal to last forty years. I usually need it to last forty days, and then it's <laughs> right. you know I buy it for an elk hunt, I go on the elk hunt, I eat it. But at least like it, your meals would last like a year, right? Or like what is the shelf life on a on an Alpine Ranch meal? Uh, it's five years, you know. So five years is really the industry standard uh, for freeze dried meals, and then it goes up from there. You know, Mountain House, they can put 25 years or, th- I don't know, 30 years, whatever they're putting on their meals now because they've been around that long. So they have meals from way back then that they can show, hey, it's still good, right? So we're all using the same technology, um, but for us to get a higher shelf life than five, we got to pay, you know, third-party big, big dollars to uh, to do a certification process to show that, well, and do they add more preservative chemicals to get to a 20 or 30 year, or does anyone that's like, that's more like prepper. And like, I assume that when I see that, I see like, oh, there's gotta be more chemicals in that, that I don't really want. Yeah. I mean, look, you can read an ingredient label. If there's stuff you can't pronounce, um, probably don't want to eat it. That's just me. Right. Uh, But, uh, we don't use any seed oils. We don't use, um, any of these things that can help you know, increase shelf life. Um, but really the shelf life for freeze dry is get the moisture, you know, is exactly get exactly. the moisture. So very low, very low amount of water in your food, uh, with an oxygen absorber and a mylar package and, uh, should last a long time. Well, that's what I thought of as like a cool feature of like getting like an outfitter business where if the outfitter can like, because outfitters know years ahead of time, a lot of times what their client roster looks like. And so it could be really cool if they put in an order and, you know, for now, like right now for next year, and they say, hey, I'm going to need a 1,000 meals for next season. 
And so now you have a year to plan that out and you can do it whenever you're in your slowest period to not only keep things busy, but to avoid getting crammed in August or July when everyone, like all the the DTC customers are trying to get their meal, which like name a, a different food industry that can cook the meal eight months ahead of time, like eight months ahead of the, of the dinner. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, that's been, and that's kind of the way we've looked at this. And hopefully, you know, as we get busier, we can have the cash flow to make meals throughout the winter and then sell them in the summer and peak season. Yeah. Um, you know, right now, obviously, cash flow is an issue and it's very expensive to just make one batch of our meals. So, um, you know, we weren't able to do that this winter. We'll see going to next winter where we're at. Um, but that would be in a perfect world. Our freeze dryers be running 24 seven, 365 and just right. cranking out meals and we're just selling them when, uh, when demand is highest, you know? Yeah. January, February, your, your inventory is going up because you have outfitter orders and then you can ship those in time. But then, you know, the, the meals that are coming out of the dehydrator in August and September are probably going out the door right away. Cause that's when the peak yeah. buying season is. Yep. Exactly. Exactly, man. Yeah, that's exciting. Those are when I think of business, though, those are all the things that I make me excited. Like, man, if we can get to this point, then we can do this. And then that's going to help over here. And all these things are going to start spitballing and and avalanching. And all of a sudden it's like that. Those are the types of things that I just get really excited about. Like when I can hit that next level of volume of scale. So I'm getting a 10 percent discount on my ingredients or I'm getting, you know, my labor costs are more efficient because I'm, you know, I hired a full time person and we keep them busy the whole time versus like labor inefficiencies because we're like starting and stopping and all those things make me excited when I think about growing a business. Totally, man. And just getting to that point, you know, I, it's, uh, you know, there's just growing pains early on or later on. And, uh, you know, it all comes with levels of scale and, um, you know, a lot of big plans and now you, now you gotta, and then I think the hardest part is waiting for, for the growth to, catch up so you can take that next step you know awesome but, uh, yeah yeah it is going to be the next step i'd love to have you back on the podcast because we've already racked up an hour but like a year from now and just get like another update and see like how crazy things have gone because i feel like the next 12 months are going to be big for you yeah man. i really do yeah. and if I you're listening it. to this there's a good chance i might be eating a meal right now because this is going to air in the middle of my colorado elk hunt so Cool, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm about a month ahead on recording. So all the listeners out there, if you're listening to this, hopefully we're packing out a bowl and we're about ready to fire up our, our uh, jet boils and our uh, backpacking stoves. Yeah, man. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on, Brian, and good luck this season. Uh, hopefully you get a chance to try some of our meals. And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to come back on in a year and give you an update. And uh, I, I love the uh, – Love the idea for the pod. I think it's awesome, and I think uh, I think it's really going to take off. So cool. Well, before you leave, give everyone the website um, where they can order the food at, uh, where they can follow you guys. If you have social media pages that you keep active, give them the whole rundown, so and we can put those links in the show notes of this episode as well. Awesome. Yeah, it's alpineranch.net. Um, so you can find all our meals on there, and then on social, the main place to find us, you know. Instagram and that's alpine.ranch so alpine period ranch on insta so yeah give us a follow on there um, and uh, come check out our website you can see all the ingredient breakdowns there and a 
you got any questions, um, just reach out and uh, be happy to answer any questions you have. Awesome. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes for anyone that's looking to stock up on some meals before their next hunt. Cool. Right on, man. Cool. Well, thank you for being here, Logan, and thank you for listening, folks.